First of all, I have zero filter on what comes out of my mouth. Second of all, the guy's talking about my mom. What the hell is he doing? Our RS is in the jackpot. We don't do something there. I'm just telling you that. This is the Code Violation Podcast. Welcome back, gentlemen. It is so great to hear that. Hey, stop stepping on my intro. (laughs) Just say. It's not customary for the the guest to speak before the host. Let's not even talk about this. You guys would just be bantering between each other, talking about nothing if it weren't for me. So That's not true. There's a football game on. Welcome back to season six of Code Violation. This is Epidose 2020, the Australian Open preview. This is episode 11. It's Epidose 2020. So what's been going on? We haven't been on since Wimbledon. We haven't been on since before Wimbledon. So as preparation for this, while you guys were studying topical um, things, I listened to the last episode we did, which was before Wimbledon happened, um, which is pretty funny. It feels like a different world before and after that Wimbledon. We were talking about the odds. Djokovic was plus 125 and Federer was plus 300. So... That made some betters very, very unhappy. Hmm. Someone almost made a bunch of money. Yeah. That was kind of a watershed moment of the tennis season. Well, basically, it was over after that, right? No. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Because yes. there was actually a changing of the guard after that. <laughs> to Andre Rublev. Oh, he's this year. Yeah, so Wimbledon happened. Then Daniel Medvedev got good. That's then, Nadal, then Nadal stole the ranking. <laughs> Nadal stayed good. Then Rublev ascended. Now people are complaining about Rublev's low point total compared to Novak in 2020. And here we are. This is our people complaining episode. Because I think basically everything we're going to talk about is stuff that people are complaining about. It's tennis. All right. Can I start about Rublev since he's number one on our hit list here and we were going to talk about rublev Arama, Yes. As uh, Matt wrote in the spreadsheet. The cool thing about Rublev, he, he hasn't lost that many matches in a long time. Zero. But yeah, the really impressive thing about Rublev is that he, he doesn't double fault. Damn right. Which for a young player is actually really impressive to me. I don't know, know why, but the stat was in his last tournament victory. What was the one that just happened? Adelaide. Yeah. He double faulted once in the whole tournament. And the previous one before that, which I think was Doha, he double faulted only three times in the whole tournament. Goddamn right. I can double fault three times in a game. Yeah. Well, so can Zverev. Zverev can double fault three times in a serve. (laughs) (laughs) First one into the wall. Second (laughs) one halfway to the net. (laughs) And then the third one aimed at his father. Yes. Double faulted so badly it made him cry. They feel so bad for him. They just let him play first in. Zverev <laughs> so, goes bowling and he gets the uh, those gutter things. The, the, bumpers. the bumpers. The bumpers, yeah. So he doesn't start crying. Do we know what that's about? He stinks. It's the yips, right? Like it has to be. Um, no, well, okay. When I was watching ATP Cup, there was... It's one of the Australian guys. There's too many of them. There's so many Australian tennis commentators, and they're all men. One of them was saying it's just there is a technical issue in what he's doing, like especially with the second serve. He's decelerating, and he doesn't bring it over as far enough to his right as he should, so he can't get the spin. So there is actually something he's doing wrong on the second serve, but it's obviously being exacerbated by mental things because even when he's making them sometimes they're 80 miles an hour oh sometimes they're 65 yeah yeah i was gonna say 80 is not 80 is not terrible but sometimes they're in the 60s yeah and for a guy that tall that's incredible actually to serve that slowly true how tall is he's like six eight or something i think six six let's say six seven but he shouldn't be struggling that much with with his second serve and it it hasn't been problematic before. So I'm actually always interested to watch him now because I feel like he's going to do it at the worst possible time. And I, I don't really care about 
him losing that point, but I like I just like to see how he reacts going forward after continually blowing big points because of a double. So so going back to Rublev, this is his segment after all. It, it's difficult for me to try to speak objectively about him, but I, I guess a counterpoint to his double fault stat is that his second serve is really not very good. So there are probably some analytics people questioning whether he'd be better off if he had more double faults and getting a little bit more on his second serve. Cause some like Felix was teeing off on some of those. They were, they were really quite bad. Well, his first serve isn't really that dominant either. Is it? All right. Let's, let's not just bash on the guy, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not great. That's, it's that, that's fast enough. Yeah, it's okay. Room to grow. He can dominate most point like if he can get a first strike in with his forehand he's got the point i mean i get most tennis players are like that but his he's extreme in that sense like basically you give him a forehand you're like oh shit so his serve just needs to be good enough to give him a forehand and he doesn't seem to make that many errors on it too for such a big forehand right and and all this i mean just like he's already the best player in the world maybe (laughs) second best but imagine how dominant he'll be when he goes through puberty it's going to be insane. The guy's so like little and squeak it. Like his grunt is like a squeal. <laughs> this is usually reserved for a slam champion, but we're going to play it for Rublev because he hasn't lost this year. And let's, re- let's be mindful that Novak fans consider Doha a slam. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. So, Mr. Rublev, young Rublev, we salute you. All right, moving on. Wait, why? Well, we already ripped his serve. We talked about his wins. What else is there? Who does he play in the first round of Australia? A very unfortunate man. Please tell us. He plays C. O'Connell. Oh. And the reason I say C is because I don't actually know what the C stands for. But I'm going to tell you. It's Chris. It's Christopher. He is a wild card from Australia. He's 25 years old. And he's ranked 117, which for for a wild card actually is a pretty decent ranking. But I am not expecting... He's going to give uh, young Andre a lot of trouble. And he has zero career wins, which I'm assuming means he has not played a main draw match. So welcome to the big time, Christopher O'Connell. That should have been Novak's opponent in the first round. Yeah. (laughs) It's very unfortunate that Novak drew a highly ranked unseated player. You know, now that we're on the eve of that match, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. Not so much <laughs> about Novak losing in and of itself, but the but the shit I'm going to catch on, on Twitter if he does lose. Like, you, you said it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna be mad at me instead of Struff. And Struff is working with his uh, anal- Novak's now former analytics coach, coach. So now he knows. He's got the model. Uh, yeah, he knows what to do. <laughs> right, it's like when the yeah. Patriots coaches go to other teams, they think that that they're going to be able to solve Belichick. It hasn't worked for anybody else. Oh, actually, no, Federer has, Federer has solved Novak now. Fe- Federer solved Novak, yeah. And also, that's incorrect about Belichick. Sometimes, I think, players who have su- or teams that have success against him are teams with coaches that worked under him. I did not know that. It's never worked for the Dolphins. It, it might be wrong, but I think I read something like that. But I mean, who knows? Like nobody ever beats them. So maybe it's like one occurrence. Actually, I take that back. It did work for the Dolphins. The Dolphins are responsible for not having the Patriots in the Super Bowl this year. How about that? Can we play the Latvian anthem for the Miami Dolphins saving football? (laughs) You better believe it. All right, that's enough. Do we want to talk about the Hopman Cup? No. I have trivia. As long as you can make it fun. I'm going to bow out of this because I don't know anything about the Hopman Cup. So you guys go for it. Phil, how about you tell us why the Hopman Cup is so lamented? 
Yeah, because it was fun and it was mixed gender and we don't have any more mixed gender events except for, you know, Grand Slams, which have actual mixed doubles. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that all the complaints had a, you know, similar theme, which was we used to start the year with this really fun, good vibe event in Australia. It had both men and women. Everyone was smiling and happy. That went away. And what made that even worse was it was replaced with this horrible ATP cup where Tsitsipas is assaulting his father. Zverev is making his father cry. Um, Novak is a barbarian as usual. You know, everyone's misbehaving. Except Kyrgios. Yeah, Kyrgios is pulling some bullshit, like behaving. I don't, I don't buy it for a second. But, but so people are like putting the two t- next to each other and be like, "Well, last year used to be, this used to be the smiley week, and this year it's the angry week," um, which I think is really stupid because it is. But I mean, if if you want to lament the loss of the ATP uh, Hotman Cup, that's fine. It just doesn't make much sense to like put it next to the ATP Cup. And I was thinking about what you said, which was I've never seen an AT or a Hotman Cup match in my life because I like serious competitive sports. And my initial reaction was to agree and then get nervous because I don't know if that sounds um, kind of snobby or performative, which are two traits that I really try to avoid. But I, I don't think it is. I mean, I've never seen an NFL Pro Bowl game. I haven't seen a home run derby in 15 years or an all-star game. I just don't really care about watching sports that isn't competitive. I, I don't watch Novak's exhibitions. So, you know, I, I get it. It can be fun for some people. It's just it's just not fun for me, athletes who are just out there not really trying. I don't know anything about the actual Hotman Cup or its history. That's That's your problem. Okay, well, so... The Hoffman Cup itself has been around since 1989. It is apparently supposed to come back for 2021. They just don't know exactly what they're going to do with it. The thing is, why couldn't you have um, a dual gender event that is competitive? Like, I don't, I think that is something good to see both tours playing together. It would make a lot more sense to me if they actually were doing more things together. People who follow tennis, you know, other than like Avnish and Ajinkya, tend to follow both tours. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. Uh, but, you know, like generally speaking, tennis fans are tennis fans, right? So this kind of thing does make a lot of sense. But the Hopman Cup itself was like they had eight teams, you have two players on a team. So it was 16 players in total, eight players on either tour. Like it really wasn't a big deal. It wasn't even an opportunity for that many players. A lot of it was really just, it was focused upon the last three years because Federer happened to be there. What a, what a coincidence. So, you know, so the Hopman Cup was, was always sort of interesting. I learned some things looking into it yesterday that, for example, one year um, I was looking at some results when Serbia was playing and Djokovic had played Tommy Haas and, and beat him 6-2, 6-0. Um, and Djokovic usually has some trouble with Haas. So I was like, oh, that's that's a little weird. And then I looked and the the mixed doubles was Djokovic and Ana Ivanovic playing um, a German player, Tatiana Martek, I think her name was, and Tanasi Kakanakis, you know, noted German um, so it looked like it, they'd actually Haas was injured and couldn't play mixed. And so they just subbed in Kokonakis. So that tells you how serious the event actually is from a country perspective. But whatever, people seem to enjoy it. I think it was good for the tour. Why not take the ATP Cup and make it the Tennis Cup? I don't know. More cups. Yeah, that, that's fine. They, they should take the ATP Cup and make it the Tennis Cup because it, like I... I don't think anyone really disagrees that it's weird to have this new Davis cup in December or whatever. And then this ATP cup in January, it's, it's bizarre either merge the events or, or have a mixed gender cup for, you know, no points, but an, a real competitive mixed gender event. All right, let's do it. We've proposed it. Let's talk to Judy Murray. Talk to Zemek. But I don't know if people want that or maybe they want it in addition, but not to replace it. Because they really need their happy vibes and, and their bongo cam. 
Mm. And, and the one thing that w- was really funny and good about the Hopman Cup was um, Zverev always um, taking the ball away from Kerber and then fucking it up. That That's my fondest memory of Hopman Cup and Kerber just being like, what the fuck, Sasha? Like, I can hit it over the net. Let me do it. All right, Corey, that's all we got. You can come back. Okay, I'm back. Was I missed? No. I was going to say, do you want the honest answer? You're on my last nerve, Chris. No, I mean, seriously, you were. Um, I was missed. I don't dis- like listening to myself talk that much. So. What a disrespectful guest. I know. Jumps in, steps on the open. Oh, that was on purpose. And then trashes the host. Hosts. Okay, so I would like to save the segment on Rafael Nadal for the end. What what segment on Nadal? See, Phil does. I I could see Phil's not on the oh, sheet. He he didn't go to the sheet. No. <laughs> Phil trusts us. Let's say that. Uh, I guess <laughs> he shouldn't. <laughs> Let's talk about the smoke. Okay, we can talk about the smoke and Starman all in one segment. Smoke. <laughs> Man. <laughs> See, it's good not to go to the sheet because then, then the content of the episode surprises even me. Phil, explain Starman. <laughs> yes, please. Okay. For those people who follow Brad Gilbert on Twitter, he has a tendency to, I don't know if it's an Apple thing or if it's on every phone, but some predictive texts, when you write a word, it gives you an emoji suggestion. And so if you type obvious, it'll get that little like eye roll emoji because sometimes that's like goes hand in hand with the word obvious. And you can use the emoji to either replace the word or put it next to the word. So anytime Brad (laughs) types a word and gets a suggestion, he uses it. So anytime, for example, he talks about upset alert. He gets the siren. Actually, he might do that on his own because I think sometimes when he types upset, he gets the little red angry face next to it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. Which looks totally stupid because like that's a prime example of when the emoji does not fit with the word in the context. Context, So like, yeah. And and so usually, you know, it's well, it's always funny, but usually it's also harmless. Uh, A few days ago, he did one that was not so harmless when uh, I think it was Simon Briggs, you know, the the leader of the infamous Briggs fam, who (laughs) tweeted something about a player like collapsing in a fit of coughs due to the horrible air quality in Melbourne. (laughs) This isn't funny, but um, Brad quote tweeted it and, and his caption was simply wow. And because he typed wow, the suggested emoji is that like starstruck person with literal stars for eyes. And, And he included that. And so it looked like, you know, that's a very festive and positive emoji. Like, wow, I'm impressed. This is amazing. And he used that to respond, to react to um, someone who whose life seemed in danger, who had collapsed on the court. And and all the replies were, who probably didn't understand what was going on, were like, dude, that's that's not a cool emoji, man. But I, I doubt he reads the replies or cares because he, he didn't delete that. So yeah. that's, that's still up there. Well, here's the thing. I'm looking for it right now, and I can't find it. Oh. So maybe he did finally delete it. Brad's PR got to him. Because I I cannot find it. (laughs) Oh, he deleted it? Yeah. I've only found two Starmans on his timeline, and I think that one's going back too far. Uh, It was, wow, Starman. Sunshine Lawrence has such a strong arm, but throws such a catchable ball. (laughs) And then the next one is a wow star man about rubles winning his next title. Yeah, I see I, I'm I'm doing a search. I just saw that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that the tweet is still there. Check check my feed. Brad just punches <laughs> that emoji button. Gives <laughs> him the suggestion. He's like, "Let's roll." <laughs> oh, there it is. It's still, it's still it's there. Still there. <laughs> <laughs> Davila Jakopo- J- Jakopovic. Dalila Jakopovic. So, okay, say it again, Matt. Dalila Jakopovic. Retires after suffering a horrendous coughing fit and breathing difficulties <laughs> in the heavy, polluted air in Melbourne. Awful scenes. 
Wow, Starman. Wow. I'm, I'm currently retweeting all the replies, or all the good replies, that are confused by the Starman emoji. I guess that leads us to the seriousness of that. And I, I mean, I haven't really been keeping on top of it too much. Is there still an air quality issue, or, or is that sort of cleared up? Uh, Rafa trusts the doctors. <laughs> no. Well, he, he'll say anything to keep that roof open. <laughs> he probably will. He'll say anything if it's sponsored. Yeah. We should link to that article. We should also link to him saying mate. <laughs> mate. Mate. Anyway, so the I think it's still there. It's once there's bushfires, as they as they call them in Australia, because I guess a lot of it's bush. Once they're around, the smoke's around, it just depends on the wind. And in Australia, because Melbourne's on the coast, the wind's always half the time it's coming off the ocean, the other half the time it's coming from inland. So it kind of just depends on what what the wind is doing. But as long as the fires are still burning and around all the Australian coastal cities, there's lots of bush. So there's just lots of fire. It's going to be a problem. Thing is, it's it's like there's a problem and a problem, if which doesn't make any sense. But if the air quality is sort of bad, then it's kind of like what, what Team was saying in his perhaps less than uh, diplomatic way that most of the time the air is worse in China. Uh, but Oh my God, he said that? Yes, he did. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> when he played oh, Beijing, the, it was way worse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, he was he's speaking his mind. Um, but I listened, I was doing some homework this morning in preparation for this podcast. And I actually listened to the No Challenges Remaining podcast occasionally we at code violation do listen to other tennis podcasts not usually on purpose but um ben had on his longtime friend a pulmonologist at harvard medical school so that i think that kind of says something about the world of tennis that troll reporter ben rothenberg has a has a good childhood friend who's like in his 30s and works at harvard harvard's on the decline yeah, the Har- Harvard's on decline, it's true. But, you know, my friends are like out-of-work welders. <laughs> Hi, Wayne. Uh, a- anyway, uh, so he has this pulmonologist on there, and pulmonologist basically said, it's hazardous in the sense that most of the time for, like, healthy people, the the level that it's going to get to, it's going to be an irritant. Um, you're going to feel it in your eyes. You might feel it in your lungs and that sort of thing, but that's actually just because that's a bodily protection system. So the reason you feel it in the nose is because it's actually stopping these little smoke particles from going in. Um, So for healthy people and for athletes, it's not the biggest of deals um, most of the time. But for people with asthma and that kind of thing, that's when it can be much more dangerous. Um, And in terms of long-term danger, which is what Shapovalov, I think, was talking about, like he would put his future health at risk. He said, well, it's kind of like if you smoked for two months we um, pulmonologists generally don't consider people who smoked for a short amount of time to be at risk for any sort of long-term health effects. So I think the Australian Open has all this stuff in mind, feeling that no one could really sue them because of this. But what the um, that one day when all the players were having trouble, uh, what the Ben's friend was saying was that gets to the point where even healthy people might start to see symptoms and that sort of thing. So it's, I think they're walking a tightrope and it's worse for spectators who might not be super fit young athletes. And so that kind of thing. What if the spectator smoked for like 28 years? (laughs) Is this a hypothetical? Yes, this is a thought experiment. Is this a specific person? (laughs) No, nobody in mind. Don't, don't come visit Calgary (laughs) in August because that's. That that Australian smoke thing, that's basically our scene every second year. It's awesome. But you can play tennis in it because I've done it. <laughs> well, you also do pails and rails. That's true. So you're in shape. Super fun and not at all painful. So the show is going to go on, basically, is what we're saying. It's happening. I think so. They didn't decide yet? No, it's generally... Um, one of the things, so I was reading this other article from my from my good friend's old boy, Richard Evans, 
who was really Mr. Establishment. And he wrote this article like upbraiding Braden Schnur, among others, for daring to speak out against the, the top players. So he's written, again, it is understandable that those affected in a serious way want to find a culprit. But in attacking today's top players, they were way off target. All players should understand that they are blessed to be playing in an era, era when the top stars spend hours of their life before major tournaments debating the concerns of colleagues ranked way below them. Wow. The way was emphasized. But there, it was kind of like those comments from the Indian Wells guy, Raymond Moore, about how the women's tennis should get down on their knees and thank Roger and Rafa. Basically the same kind of thing without the sexism, but probably also there. What they were saying was that the Australian Open, just they have their own consultants. They have a limit, basically, when they don't think the limit is reached, they make play go on. And it got a little dicey that one day when Yakupovich and a few others fell down. But even that day, they thought it was okay. So based on that evidence, I'm thinking that they're probably just going to push forward unless it's smoke soup. Hey, keep your star man handy. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I guess the last word I wanted to say on it is that it, it's become a great opportunity for people on Twitter to... Uh, to virtue signal, I guess. Well, there are very few missed opportunities on Twitter for that. To be cynical, at the end of the day, the Australian Open is just going to do whatever it can to not have its business interrupted. And if that means a few people retire due to, uh, to breathing issues, but there's no way that those people can sue them or it's, there's no long-term effects, they're not going to do anything about it. And that is kind of awful, but that's also the reality of the world we live in. Okay, so here's a hypothetical. Uh-huh. Smoke soup or wet bulb? As a tennis player. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't I haven't played in wet bulb. What do you what would what are your thoughts? I think I'd probably rather have smoke soup. They're both pretty bad, but but I think that speaks to the point that they're just gonna they're just gonna go business as usual. I mean was it last year or maybe at this point it's every year where there are some days in Australia where it's like unspeakably hot, like Monfils practically died on the court one day. But the problem is they express temperatures in Celsius, so so nobody knows what they are. But yeah, we don't know what they are. We as a podcast don't know, but it seems like <laughs> it's like up to you know a hundred degrees, and that's a temperature in the shade, and they play in the sun. Yeah. So out there in the sun, it it must feel like you know well over a hundred. Oh it's, yeah. It's it's hard to be alive much less you know playing best of five tennis so if, if they do that i'm i'm inclined to doubt that smoke soup is going to be worse than that at least on the day that they play and if the pulmonologist said that you know going out there is just like you know smoking a couple cigarettes then he, he's probably right they they shouldn't cancel if that's if that's the case absolutely because the wet bulb conditions aren't about long-term risk. They're about like you could die right then. <laughs> right. Well, he also said that it could like if you had a spectator who was had serious breathing issues or that sort of thing, it could have much more severe effects for them. So that begins. To, he's like, you. ironically, you could actually it might be safer to run to say to have run the qualifying that day, but not enabled anyone to come watch it. Because the athletes are probably in much better shape. <laughs> Think about the circumstances that would have to happen, though. For I mean, what person with serious breathing difficulty that lives in an area that's basically been engulfed in flames is going to still go, despite the warnings, to a tennis tournament? Like, I just, it doesn't seem that realistic to me. Well, I mean, I wouldn't underestimate the capacity for human stupidity just look just look at the lawsuits that have been won over the years you know they sued mcdonald's because the coffee was too hot well that coffee is really hot that's still amazing I, I mean people do ridiculous things and then get surprised like you know that new meme when someone looks surprised it's like that cartoon character looking surprised this i guess that's a young person thing yeah oh i'll send it to you guys after but no yeah people do really dumb things that are not in their self-interest and they expect if something bad happens to them because of by their own fault they don't think they're accountable they think the uh institution is i think at the end of the day i have my my uh 
my opinion is the exact opposite of uh, Squire Evans in that he's like, people, sh- the players shouldn't think that the organization doesn't care about them. I would say they absolutely should think that the organization doesn't care about them and proceed accordingly. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. It, especially because it's a should thing, not a does. Like maybe the organization cares and to what extent, but when they make their decisions, they should definitely, you know, hope for the best, but assume the worst. Yeah. And I, you know, it's not like, I think this is a way of looking at it too. It's not like people think of it as they're, they're being heartless. Like Craig Tiley himself probably feels bad for Yakupovich, but he knows that he's got a tournament to run and one individual doesn't really matter. So in that case, he has feelings and that's, that's about as far as they go. Yeah. Which is not much different from most businesses. Yep. Would would closing the roof solve this issue on a day-to-day basis? Because my God, if if we have to deal with another controversial roof thing. uh... We're we're sort of just recapping Ben's episode here. But yeah, the (laughs) pulmonologist said, um, yeah, if you close the roof, probably that would help because it it doesn't it might not take all of the particles out but it would take more of them out and also the heat is is adds to the distress so if you have not as much heat it it's a better environment so yes they could in theory especially the second week they could run the whole tournament indoors wouldn't that be great marin chilich on the off chance if you're listening uh string your rackets and practice indoors under the assumption that you'll play the final there because you might <laughs> all right go on Madison Keys, we're hoping for the best and assuming the worst. Is that how it goes? False. What is it? We're just hoping for the best. And expecting the best. And expecting the best. That's how it goes with Keys this year. She's the WTA Rublev. I think she's breaking through. Even even Scholes, a loose friend of ours, even, even Scholes, who dragged her historically, he said, I, well, I don't take it back. It seems like she might be ready to come out of the oven some kind of vernacular I didn't understand. But I think it was praising her. Yeah, she's fully baked. <laughs> Time to come out, Madison. Just like those of us in Canada, <laughs> legally. <laughs> anyway, good luck, Madison. We're pulling for you. All three of us are, right? What? Wait, that's the segment? We're, that, that's that's it? it? That's the whole thing? We're rooting for keys? <laughs> I mean, I agree. One of us isn't even rooting for keys. Let's be serious. I'm not. I'm not rooting against her. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You treat Keys the same way you treat Stan. You, you, oh, you, come you, on, you thumb no. your nose. That's up, pretty close. You thumb your nose up like a lord and say her tennis is not proper enough for you. Well, at least Rublev, in his mad hitting, what has a sense of <laughs> keeping. You know, like you said, he's actually fairly consistent with his forehand and keys is consistent with her forehand but her backhand it's like well i hit a couple of these in so the point's still going on so i think i'll just hit it down the line and see what happens it's hard for me to get that behind a player with that mentality even though that might be my own mentality um but anyway that's just terrible analysis game maybe if you'd hung around at the u.s open to see her play live you'd appreciate it a bit more maybe She's definitely gotten better. I watched her play the final against Pliskova for, for Brisbane. Yeah, against Pliskova. It was a good match. Or it wasn't, I guess that was the semifinal. Pliskova won the final against... Um, Nobody cares about Karolina Pliskova. No, Key, yeah, she beat Keys in the final. She beat Osaka and Keys. So people, maybe people should care about Karolina Pliskova, but you're, you're right, they don't. Sorry, Pliskova fans. She's a champion. She's not a champion. She's the Brisbane champion. That's not a cha- that's not a slam. Brisbane. Oh, I thought. Why did I think she won a slam? No, she made the final. Pliskova, she made a final. Oh, After- she had the the weird Serena. Serena went into train wreck mode and lost from five two up and match points against her last oh, year. Oh, right, right, right. Made a final. Ask Avnish how how important <laughs> how significant making a final is. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean, she was the the second best player of that fortnight, right? Yes, and that's not enough. But she didn't make the final last year anyway, right? Which is even more pathetic. Pushed about. Why are we talking about her? She's not on the sheet, is she? 
No. She was playing Keys. And she she beat Keys, who's apparently it doesn't matter. You know, the best. Yes. Yes. So I don't know what that makes Pleshkova. I, I, I still just want to establish Keys. The entire topic was that we are supporting her. Two, two out of three of us. That's what we had to say about Keys. That's what we're offering our audience. Yeah. It says specifically why this year is going to be different for Keys. <laughs> and Keys has already made a slam final as well. Let's remember, she just ran into her good friend Sloan. Yeah. And, and she's probably more baked now and can handle Sloan's pushing. Correct. Oh, fuck. That's going to get me in trouble. Edit that out. <laughs> you wish. Fuck. <laughs> what I mean by pushing is, you know, tactical shot making, much like uh, Nadal. I'm definitely editing that out. All the Sloan fans like Nadal. <laughs> they, they, they like go together. Scholes does not like Nadal. No, no. He's an exception. Every, every Novak fan is basically some kind of exception. We're all aberrations of some sort. I wouldn't know. We have crocodiles next to our Twitter handles. How speak for yourself? Yeah, I don't speak for myself. Speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> There's only one of us here with a crocodile next to his Twitter. <laughs> yeah, handle. the only one with a crocodile is a dolphin. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I don't have a crocodile. But I don't. I don't think even I'm not going to pretend I'm not aberrational. So it's fine. We like Djokovic. He's a weirdo. I mean, that, that's fair. You're not going to be like a regular person. Apparently, the sexiest. Of the big four, so yeah, it, it makes you it makes you interesting to like Djokovic. He's he's like a subculture. He's like cool music, and everyone who likes him is very interesting because of that. And the lead singer of one of those cool bands murdered his wife. Yeah, know, something had multiple affairs. <laughs> edit that out too. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching the football game and I'm forgetting to kind of edit myself. So I'm counting on you. That part's staying in. I was just gonna say that we need to get this up in the interest of time. So I'm not planning to edit much of this at all. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm going to look through the sheet here. What else? Um, well, we wanted to mention that Serena finally broke through. Yes. I actually wanted to talk about Plishva, Plishkova again because of that. So there you go. Yeah, that's a Plishkova thing. <laughs> go for it, Matt. What, what did she say? We're not going to play the Latvian anthem, anthem for Serena, right? Because it's Serena. Right. Correct. But Serena had not won. She'd been in how many slam finals? Three, four? I think three. Since she came back from uh, maternity leave. and But she had not won one. So she finally won a final in Auckland um, after dealing with the wind and having like kind of a messy first couple of matches. She got it together. She smoked her quarterfinal and semifinal opponents. And then she ran into a surprisingly game, Jesse Pegula. Trivia note, daughter of the owner of all the Buffalo pro sports teams. But anyway, it was a it was a decently tough match, but Serena got through it. Straight sets, one proverbial monkey off the back kind of thing. Um, and then so Pliskova, they asked her about it and she said something about, well, this time in the final, she didn't have an opponent who could trouble her. I don't know. How did the Serena fans feel about that? Um, I'm guessing they didn't feel particularly good about that. Yeah, they were, they were angry. Because she didn't really say, you know, she basically said, like, anytime, I don't care what Serena's ranked, anytime I have to play her, it's going to be difficult, but I welcome the challenge. But then she did also say that probably she won this final because she played Jesse Pegula. It's a little shady. <laughs> and a little true. Well, I don't, I'm, maybe. It's also lower pressure. We could ask Patrick, he'd probably say. Well, that's the the big story is that she managed to win a final despite him. <laughs> he did not interfere. He didn't insinuate himself into the the proceedings. I'm sure he tried. <laughs> he was live tweeting during the match. I think Serena should target her backhand more. And Serena was looking at her phone on changeovers. And so Serena had to make up a story about how it was a medical device. This is a callback. Remember that Zverev incident? Oh, yeah. Oh, and it actually was something medical, wasn't it? Yeah. I've, I've never seen tennis Twitter do such a fast 180 where uh, they were they were like, Zverev, you're such a cheating joke and a liar. And then like two hours later, they were like, it was indeed a medical device. Ben Rothenberg should be ashamed of himself, which he should have. Yeah, generally. Yeah. <laughs> Although he did help us out today. That, that was a fun thing that happened yeah, sometime late last year. What else happened late last year? 
Uh, Nadal failed for the 15th straight year to win the year-end championships. He's now 0 for 15. And the number one player on the planet. Yeah, let's talk in two weeks. And the Davis Cup champion. Uh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> How many titles in 2020? This is a 2020 episode. He's lost a good amount in uh, 2020. He lost to GoFan. I think he's finished. Yeah. Do we want to look at Nadal's draw? We just really... Oh, for the open? Really bring sure. out the fun. He's going out in round four. <laughs> oh, to, to Big Nick. To, to his nemesis. So he's playing... In round one, he's playing someone from Bolivia. He's actually ranked 72, Hugo Delian, but who has, I was seeing in a tweet from Ricky Diamond, I think, won two main draw matches, and one of them was like an injury. (laughs) So that should be difficult. Then he's got clay court Federico Del Bonis or Joe Souza. So I I wouldn't worry too much about that. Del Bonis is actually, he's actually a pain in the ass to play, though. He is. Um but he probably won't even win that match. Probably. And he also has one of the worst ball tosses in, in the history of tennis. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and then he's got most likely his good friend, Pablo Carreño. So that's a walkover. I mean, it wasn't, I, I don't, I'm not even confident enough in that to have picked Carreño against a lucky loser for the pool, but it still seems most likely. Carreño, who was the fourth best player of the 2017 U.S. Open. <laughs> What a tournament. What a year. It was a great year. It was an embarrassing year. I, anyway, so then if Nadal gets through that murderer's row <laughs> to the fourth round, he should have either Nick Kyrgios or Karen Hatchinoff, but may have Pablo Cuevas. Come on, Cuevas. <laughs> I, I actually, I had a theory recently. It, it was already in my head, and then it started crystallizing when when Kyrgios was... Um, was getting destroyed by Agut in the uh, anti-Hopman Cup. Curios, ever since he did Rothenberg's podcast and went, you know, scorched earth against Novak, anytime they're near each other in a draw, or like in the case of the ATP Cup, um, like there's a potential for them to share the court, even though they wouldn't play each other. He seems to randomly, like, really self-destruct. Um, so, so obviously, like he got killed in the ATP Cup, and where else did it happen? Like, I think they were scheduled to meet in like in the third round of Rome or something. Yeah, and he had a really winnable. Match. And and he was beating and he was beating Binman Rude, and then decided he didn't want to be in the tournament anymore. Invented a problem and threw a chair and walked away. Yeah. So, so, so it, it, you know, it's probably not that, but. I, I, I kind of wonder, like every, every time he's like near Novak, he seems to go away. So Nick Kyrgios, if you're listening, I think you're scared. <laughs> I think you're a coward. And I think you should win a few matches, play Novak, and keep, and then keep talking about that head-to-head. Bin man. I don't like him at all. It's, it's, like, it's like he responded to Zverev in like a not terrible way. And everyone's like, ah, he's, he's uncanceled. He's a good guy. Like the bar is so unimaginably low that if he just doesn't fuck up anything he says, then like he's redeemed himself. It's it's unbelievable. Man, the Chiefs are getting killed. This is terrible. Really? Imagine well, not killed. It's 17-7. But can you imagine if they run to the Super Bowl through um New England, Baltimore, and Kansas City all on the road as as the sixth seed in the AFC? That's that's wild. In South Florida, all the talk is because the Super Bowl is being played in Miami is how uh, ironic it would be if Ryan Tannehill made his first oh. Super Bowl appearance in Miami for a different team. Yeah. Oh, the irony. Just one year later, too. It's not like he had to bake. Yeah. Nice. No, he's, he's he's cooked. Yeah. Those, those dolphins. But, but I mean, this is remarkable. It's like they, they were the sixth seed. And then they go on the road, you know, New England, they had their problems, but it's still New England in Foxborough against Brady and Belichick. Then Baltimore was considered, you know, not a historic team, but a really, really good team, like overwhelming Super Bowl favorites. And and now the Chiefs were, you know, almost in that category. I mean, that's it's quite a run. 
It's like the 2010 Jets. Or the 2014 Marin Chilich. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like 2014 Chilich. Although he only went through Federer. Then he got Nishikori, who is not a good tennis player in the final. <laughs> should we explain this? Should we should we outro this explaining this good tennis player thing? Because people are going to wonder what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, go for it. I, I mean, just, just for the opportunity to shame Avnish publicly, I'd say, yeah. The Avnish Chandra <laughs> categorization of what makes a good tennis player, which is what? Win a slam or nothing, right? That's pretty much it. It's it's win a slam. You know, he he goes on he gets on tangents. Um, so like he said, Dimitrov is a good player because he won a Masters, which is quote slam adjacent. I mean, that puts a whole slew of ca- characters into the good player category. Jack Sock, Fabio Fanini. Yeah, but like, I mean, you could make an argument that he is a good player. Matt Zemek says he has eight major level talent. So let's put him aside. He's mercurial. Okay. But Jack Sock sucks. He, he's terrible. He's an absolute bin man. He won a Masters in 2017. Anyway, I, I think Avnish backtracked that or, or forgot he said it. And I think he went back into the slam territory and said, like, the objective of the game of tennis is to win a Grand Slam. And so if you win one, that puts you in a conversation of good players that other players aren't in. Um. And and therefore, you know, Marin Cilic is better than Kani Shikori and Burdick. And Burdick. And then, you know, all those random guys who won French Opens when when the good players weren't especially good on clay, it was a specialty surface, you know, they're they're better. It's 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 terribly bizarre. But we're using it to categorize people, ironically. Yes. So yeah, the 2014 U.S. Open Final, men's U.S. Open Final, was an opportunity to enter the conversation. And he took it with his big meaty paws. How much more is on the sheet? No, we're, we're done with the sheet. That's pretty much it. We're just, it's, it's now supposed to be bickering. Oh, so we're talking about, you know, the pool and, you know, talking about how you were unfair. The, the last episode we did was actually when we hashed this out live. So, so I got to relive it. Oh, the bin coin. Yeah, yeah. I forgot that the only reason I did that is because you were convinced I wouldn't. Just- yeah, because I refused. I'm like, if you don't like how I run the pool, then you can do it. So there. Unfairly. <laughs> We've obviously been over this already, so we're not, we're not going to do it again. Well, so. the bin coin pool was actually kind of fun. It was. It just didn't. It was kind of over before it started. It just needed some tweaking. It was. It yeah. was over before it started, and I think there were too many coins, which made it complicated. I think. I think we should do it again, but just have seven coins per player, basically one per round, and then that makes it kind of you know simpler. You can bet it. You can bet it all on winning it, or you can spread it on every round, as opposed to you know these thousands of coins and not knowing what the hell's going on. And then not having Manorino and, and Karlovich as your picks, you know, it seems fun, but just with the exception of someone like Kyrgios, just play the top seeds. It's more interesting to figure out where, you know, Djokovic and Federer and Nadal and... That currency of Bitcoin was fairly uh, dilute. Well, I mean, you know, if you're if you don't have any idea of what you're talking, what we're talking about, which is probably 90% of you... Um, Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency, but if you want it to be, we could probably, uh, Phil could make that work. I would actually say that 100% of the people listening know exactly what Bitcoins are. We have more listeners than that, <laughs> than people who participate in our stupid pools. Well, where the hell are they? I don't know. I think we lost a lot of our listeners when um, we lost some of our Twitter sponsors. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, Right. Or when we stop making episodes. <laughs> yeah, that, that too. People probably lost interest when, when the series ended. Due to the fires, we won't be criticizing any of our former Twitter <laughs> sponsors. We will criticize people for not speaking out against climate change, right. but not for any performance-related issues. Correct. And, and I personally will not be talking about the audio quality of any of our former Twitter sponsors' podcasts. Even if they're shit. Especially when they're shit. We're not going to talk about them, especially when they're shit. We're not going to do it. So, so I guess this is the Australian Open podcast. I mean, we should we should end it with our 
with our picks, our dark horse predictions, and well, just predictions in general. Winner and what else you expect to pan out that might be unexpected. Matt, you go first. The big one. Okay, I think no, I think Serena is actually going to not do you. It. Ah, well, anyway, Serena. <sighs> Serena. All right, big Matt. I'm going to go with Maddie for my dark horse. Okay. And you? I'm going with um, Madison on the women's side and uh, dark horse Rublev on the men's side, as long as he's still got gas in the tank. Ooh. And I'm uh, going Djokovic to win his eighth trophy. All right. I'll go Djokovic on the men's side. Medvedev will be my dark horse. <laughs> Medvedev is a dark horse? The number four seed. Medvedev is about as dark as a light bulb. Couldn't come up with anything more creative that, that isn't dark. He's about as dark as a white Russian. He's as dark as a white Russian. Pick your men's pick, Matt. Um, I was going to troll and say Sitsipas, but then you said Medvedev, and I think I think he can actually do it. I don't I don't have the best feeling about Djokovic this time. I feel like he. He spent himself on the ATP Cup. We shall see. Medvedev is about as dark as Shapovalov's face. If <laughs> Novak doesn't win this tournament, it's not because of him expending himself. I know. I just wanted to say that to annoy you. God damn it. If Novak doesn't win this tournament, it's because he drew Jan Leonard Struff in the first round. And it's not just about the possibility of losing, but they sap your energy those 40th ranked players in the first round of a two-week event. Yeah, your cognitive gas. Yeah, they, they take your cognitive gas. And they take your glutens. All right. Not our best, not our worst. It might have been our worst. <laughs> but we figured out how to how to do it again. Yeah, so look forward to the next episode, everyone. We'll be back. MC Sound Design, Stupid Phil, and Little Matt Chris. Lord, Little Matt Chris. That's it. Medvedev is about as dark a horse as Twitter in light mode. Medvedev is as dark as your cognitive gas. Medvedev is about as dark a horse as as the Democratic nominees. Medvedev is about as dark a horse as Trump's voting base. Oh, oh, all those Trump supporters out there, no offense. Medvedev is about as dark as the tram lines.